Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that pretends to take a fresh look at politics, but instead just keeps bringing back the same unwanted look again and again, with the hope that you'll eventually cave in and accept it, and then we supposedly move on. This is episode 134, I'm Tin and Duyeb, and once again, by the time you've heard this podcast, MPs will probably have voted against May's deal for the umpteenth billionth time, which might have been meaningful or possibly just provisional, maybe emotional or spiritual, but regardless, very likely inconsequential, as Prime Minister and Windshield that would only ever hide behind whoever needed to use it, Theresa May, will probably just delay Brexit so that she can keep returning to Brussels with exactly the same plan again and again, like a pet whose owner has died, but they still keep prodding the body in the hope that they'll get fed. I'm obviously not thinking of a cat, they just eat their owner's face. I have no clue at all what's happening with Brexit this week, which puts me on level footing with all political commentators, experts and in fact politicians themselves, as the country heads towards a week of votes that'd have more obvious direction if the outcome was picked by an iPod shuffle. Over the past week, May and the Attorney General, Geoffrey, my voice has far more depth than I do, Cox, have been at EU HQ trying to negotiate some leeway on the Irish border backstop that they had put in place, because again, Brexit is like a heady decision to get married on a boat in Vegas to someone you've only just met, and then the next day realising that it'll probably take you several years to divorce them, and where are they, and why do you not have your wallet, and where are your shoes, and oh, all of this was such a bad idea. Earlier today, to answer Labour leader and felt llama Jeremy Corbyn's urgent question on Brexit, Brexit minister and 12-year-old boy Robin Walker represented the Prime Minister as she attended Commonwealth Day ceremonies in a desperate attempt to gain insight into what it was like when anyone paid attention to Britain. I have a feeling that by PMQs this week, May will be represented by Number 10's chief mouser Larry the Cat, who'll just proceed to lick his own ass and still provide more insight than she does. After the ceremony, May flew to Strasbourg to meet President of the European Commission and star of children's cartoon Arthur, Jean-Claude Juncker, and as announced by Chancellor of the Duchy and Cosplay Estate Agent David Lidlington to Parliament, improvements to May's deal were made. What improvements? Well, a joint instrument, which is when you play a tune on a fat reefer. Sorry, I mean it's a legal obligation for the right of the UK to suspend the Irish backstop if the EU don't uphold their side of things. Though, telling it a ghost story or a good thriller isn't the same as removing it, is it? Suspend. 
and did a joke about suspending. Anyway, then the other addition is the legal obligation to replace the backstop with alternative arrangements by December 2020, which, judging by the speed it's taken just to get to this point, will mean it's likely just replaced by a stockade or any other word they found in the thesaurus for backstop. Lidlington warned that not voting for this deal will plunge the country into a political crisis. Mate, where have you been? That's like saying if you don't vote for this deal, things will be equally as dire and yet dull as they have been for the last two or so years. Ooh, terrifying. Is that how you're planning to suspend the backstop, is it? It's not very good. Rumours suggest that if May's deal fails, which it will because everyone still hates it because it's still the same and it's still rubbish, she might still put forward a Brexit delay until the 24th of May, which would be one day past the start of European elections, meaning that Article 50 can't really be extended beyond that without an awful lot of hassle, and then May will turn up and say, hey, here's my deal again and all I've changed is my shoes, and then hope that everyone votes for it because of panic. She's purposefully kicking the can down the road, which is really stupid, and she may need to eat from it if we end up with a no deal. If that is the case, then everyone will still be unhappy because no one ever likes anything that's happening and Brexiteer and what would happen if a vampire bit an egg, Ian Duncan Smith, has already complained this week that the EU are just laughing in Geoffrey Cox's face, which, I mean, they probably are. There's a man who spent last week referring to the renegotiations as Cox's codpiece, which doesn't make any sense unless he's admitting that they smell of sweaty balls. Of course they're laughing. Over on the opposition side, Jeremy Corbyn has met with Tory MPs to discuss a Norway deal, which would mean a much softer Brexit, but I'm concerned that somehow they'd screw it up and we'd just end up with beer that costs £9 a pint and nothing else. At the Scottish Labour conference, Corbyn said that poverty and climate change are bigger priorities than Brexit. And hey, look, he's not wrong, in a way, as what good is a trade agreement when your whole country is sunk underwater due to melted ice caps? Though I guess that would make a border in the Irish Sea a lot more feasible. But the little teeny-weeny issue is that Brexit makes dealing with both of those things an awful lot harder. It's like saying that navigating the labyrinth is way more important than killing the Minotaur, but we all know that it makes it a whole lot harder to find the exit if you're being chased by a large man with a massive bullhead. The rest of the week's politics mostly felt like Conservative MPs were having some sort of competition to see who could say the very worst thing possible. Well, either that or a lot of aides have been winning tea at the Ritz. Disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox managed to tweet the wrong name of the World Trade Organisation, calling it the World Trading Organisation. Now, sure, it's not that wrong, but when it's literally your job to deal with things like that, it just once again proves that his political expertise means that his concept of trade probably just involves putting something on a tray and assuming it's done. I bet Fox spends his weekend walking around Help Yourself canteens and telling people about all the trading he's doing while spilling tea down his leg. Work and Pensions Secretary and resting disappointed face Amber Rudd referred to Shadow Home Secretary and Mushroom Diane Abbott as the racist term coloured woman, something that when called out on, Rudd said she'd been clumsy. You know, that sort of clumsiness that causes hugely outdated racist terms. How many times have you tripped up or stubbed your toe and then thrown out a hate crime? Oh, it happens to the worst of us. In Rudd's defence, maybe she assumes calling someone coloured is actually a compliment on account of all the translucently pale grey people that she has to work with in her party. But before everyone could shout, you see, the Conservatives are the really racist ones, leader of the Commons and mother, Andrea Leadsom, had already handed everyone all of her beer and suggested to the Commons that Islamophobia was a matter for the Foreign Office. Now, you could interpret that as though she thinks that Muslims can't be British citizens, or you could... No, no, that is the only way that you can interpret it. Of course, if cases of Islamophobia were handed over to the Foreign Office, Foreign Secretary and giraffe-shaped pastor Jeremy Hunt would probably think it was something to do with the fear of llamas and then say that his wife comes from there. 
Ledsom's comments came in a week where the Conservatives had to suspend 14 party members over Islamophobic comments in a Facebook group, saying that while the group wasn't officially anything to do with the party, they had immediately acted and suspended those who were members. But then, leaked emails showed that actually party chair and distressed porcupine Brandon Lewis knew about some of them from last year and did absolutely nothing. Hey now, be nice, maybe Lewis was just working out if any of them were suitable to take Ledsom's position if she steps down. Meanwhile, on the other side, Labour peer and worst Game of Thrones character ever, Lord Falconer, has said that anti-Semitism could pose an existential threat to the party, which I assume means that if he does end up in charge of an internal investigation into racism against Jewish people in the party, if he thinks it's there, then it is. Meanwhile, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and human photobomb Karen Bradley has faced a lot of calls of resignation after stating that security force killings during the Troubles were not crimes, but just people fulfilling their duties in a dignified and appropriate way. Nice one, Karen. Way to help the continued peace in Northern Ireland. Why not next just head west and scribble out Derry on all the signs so it just says London? It's quite clear Karen still has absolutely no clue over the history of Northern Ireland, despite being appointed to her role over a year ago. And I wouldn't put it past her to have just assumed that because they were called the Troubles, it was probably just about an upset tummy or something. So what's the big deal? Bradley apologised for her comments pretty quickly but didn't step down because having absolutely no idea about what you're doing is now a key government hiring policy. But, and it's weird to say this, at least she apologised, which is becoming less and less common despite being the most obvious British value I can think of. Every time the government go on about upholding British values, I'm just amazed that they don't prove they really care by overly apologising about everything and then saying something about the weather. I mean, take another one of the contenders in Don't Conservatives Say the Absolute Worst Things. Yes, what if daytime TV got possessed Esther McVeigh, who tweeted an article that said all EU member states would have to join the Euro by 2020 and asked if the public were aware of it and hashtagged it, hashtag watch out. Turns out the public were aware as it was from 2014 and it's been widely debunked since, as it's a whole load of shit. McVeigh didn't apologise and instead tweeted that even if people didn't agree with the article, can't we all agree that the UK shouldn't join the Euro? Yeah, nice one Esther, now let's do another one. Can't we all agree that an elected MP shouldn't spout completely untrue things? Otherwise, are we at least able to do the same for you? Hey everyone, did you know Esther McVeigh is composed entirely of the worst comments on Mumsnet? Even if you don't agree with that, can we all agree that she's one of the most awful human beings that there's ever been? Theresa May was accused of having not listened on knife crime by an ex-police chief and later that week of not listening to Islamophobia claims or Brexit concerns. I'm sure it's very possible that she just can't hear as her aides only filtered through very old advert slogans. May said all the increased deaths of young people by stabbings was appalling, though that could be because she was hoping to get them through austerity first. Home Secretary and star of Despicable Me, Sajid Javid, demanded more funding for police, possibly to cover up the cuts to funding for a knife crime prevention scheme he'd recently made. Still, if he managed to get more funding for police, but still not quite enough to cover all the cuts that have been made, then the cops could go in insufficient numbers to take on all the kids Javid has let down by his other funding cuts, and when they get arrested, it's suddenly the Ministry of Justice's fault. Basically, as displayed by Andrea Leadsom, the government is one big imaginative delegation group. Luckily, Defence Secretary and little boy that's just scoffed all the e-numbers, Gavin Williamson, has a solution to the issue of knife crime. That's right, get the army involved. That does seem to be Gavin's solution to absolutely everything, and it can only be a matter of time before we find out he's missed diplomatic duties because he's insisted he gets a lift to the airport in a tank, or gets in trouble after he asks some squaddies to shoot his neighbour's cat out of the tree, or has been hospitalised after asking the army to sort out a plumbing issue in his house by grenading it. Meanwhile, independent group sort of leader and unused extra from Channel 4's Humans, Chukura Munna, suggested that national conscription was needed to fix knife crime. Yes, great suggestion from a man who went AWOL from his own team. 
Labour MP and similar to Jesus, just the one from the Big Lebowski, not the Bible, Fiona Onasanya had her appeal against her conviction for perverting the course of justice turned down. The charge comes after she colluded with her brother to lie about who was driving her car when she was caught speeding. Though, let's be fair, it's not unusual for a current MP to pass the blame onto almost anyone else. Has she thought about joining the Tory party? She really, really should. Challenging the decision, Onisanya, a former practising solicitor, decided to represent herself but turned up without any notes, which probably didn't help her case when it looked like she was hoping to race through it. A recall petition for her seat in Peterborough could now be in place, which could lead to a by-election. As Onisanya has previously compared herself to Jesus Christ, this would now be the time to find out if her political career could rise again after it's definitely, definitely died. Jeremy Hunt confirmed that the Prime Minister would reject a second Scottish independence vote because, you know, she'd never rerun a vote again and again and again until it passed, ever. Nuh-uh. Never, ever, ever. The Digital Economy Act 2017 kicks in next month, meaning that you will not be able to access commercial porn sites in the UK without an age verification check. However, to make up for it, it will be free for everyone to see the government fucking the country on repeat on the news. Far-right activist Tommy Robinson is the best-funded politician in the UK, which is surprising when he looks like someone stuck a Brillo pad on a turnip. Robinson, real name Stephen Yaxley Lennon, has gained all of his money through donations, which he's used to buy a big house and go on lots of fancy holidays. But to be fair, I'd send him some cash too if I knew it'd definitely mean he stayed indoors more or just fucked off to another country. And lastly, in the US, President and Drowned Orange Ruffy Fish Donald Trump referred to the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, as Tim Apple during a meeting. This caused wide mocking of the man-baby, but let's be fair to Trump, it would be a lot easier if we just called people what they do in their jobs. For example, how about Donald Sexbest? Hey, Parpol Broads, another week, another podcast where I'm wondering why I bothered with a weekly politics show and didn't just do a podcast about, I don't know, refusing to believe in certain Chinaware and call it No Such Thing as a Dish, or a less topical politics show about special advisors' mistakes causing the cancellation of foreign aid and call it My Spad Wrote Off Borneo. But no, here I am, uh, once again, trying to work out how to fill an hour of a show without just playing Entry of the Gladiator is on repeat and laughing hysterically. Although I wouldn't do that anyway because music licence costs are pricey. Uh, on the plus side, I haven't really watched much news this past week, which is uh, always nice. Instead, I've mostly spent time dealing with my daughter having a cold, which means our flat currently looks like a low-budget Ghostbusters spin-off that absolutely no one wanted. Um, this has also coincided with her perfecting doing an impression of an elephant, which is, um, I'm not going to lie, uh, it's a very parent thing to say, it's unbelievably adorable, or it was, until the arm trunk that she does coincided with the appearance of a kind of snot rope, and suddenly the tiny noise was uh, an awful lot less appealing. It's really disgusting um oh and i went to see captain marvel which is ace uh, despite what the internet trolls will tell you as i know they're usually such a trusted source of critique um the only thing i didn't like about it though is that it's set in the 90s which is seen as retro and that meant i spent the whole film feeling really really old um not really sure how to start an internet campaign about that but um maybe you can have one that's sort of actively happy for more female leads as awesome as brie larson but at the same time doesn't want any films that are set in time periods that remind me that adults are alive today who've never seen a cassette oh it's really just even saying that makes me feel sick um so look i'm glad you're here for whatever this week's show is and it's better than last week and that there's a guest and everything so definitely tried my best um but who knows who knows what the content is when there literally is no content right now um anyway but before that thank you tons to shoreditch twat indie ricky and manic mechanic uh, for your lovely itunes reviews god i really hope those are your real names um i know one of you i know indie ricky is a brilliant 
uh, independent filmmaker and activist uh, well worth checking out on Twitter but thank you to the three of you um, and uh, the latter's review Manic Mechanic uh, they said that their only complaint was that the bumper volume does your head in and yes I am aware that every week the volume of the adverts on this show can be staggeringly louder than the rest of the show and no it isn't just some sneaky plot to keep waking you up every time you nod off because I'm being super dull um, it sadly isn't actually up to me and I've worked on making this podcast as loud as it possibly can be using clever things like equalising and amplifying and a hard limiter and then more amplifier I don't I don't really know what these mean there's loads of different buttons on the editing software and I've been shown how to use it but that doesn't mean I understand it um, anyway when I upload it to Acast the pod hosts it then gets compressed again and then they add the adverts at a level that I just can't control and then they're really boomy loud um, I've asked them about it and as yet I've had nothing back and I know that other podcasts that I'm a fan of like Talking Politics which is brilliant um, has exactly the same issue so I'm sorry Manic Mechanic but as soon as I can do something about it I absolutely will um, if you too however would like to review the show and maybe deduct a star for something that's completely out of my control then please do so on whichever pod apps you use or if they don't do reviews uh, use one you don't use which will mean that you're using it and then this instruction becomes pointless hmm uh, you can also donate to the show uh, which at the moment is mainly just a way of keeping me fueled in caffeine to survive both parenting and politics tonight's announcement didn't happen until 10pm bloody 10pm you know what time I got up this morning later than my wife she let me sleep in a bit but she was up at 5.30 and I was up uh, I was up 7.30. It's quite bad. Anyway, anyway, caffeine. That's what you can do. Um, and you can buy me caffeine via uh, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro, which I've noticed now also has a commissions option. And I'm not sure what any of you would want to commission me to do. But if you have any... But if you have any ideas uh, to pop in there, uh, sling me some bucks, um, as they're my preferred four-legged mammal, uh, and also give me some money and then let me know. And I'm happy for commissions if there's something I could feasibly do. God knows, am I just selling myself? Is this some sort of podstitution? Oh, terrible. Um, otherwise, uh, you can do a one-off or monthly payment at the Kofi uh, and over at patreon.com forward slash purplebro, you can just do monthly ones, um, but any are much appreciated. And of course, if you can't do either, then you're dead to me and don't be showing your face around here again or there's going to be trouble. Sorry, I'm... I mean, just spread the word on your social medias or your anti-social medias about how much you like the show, and trust me, that is just as good. Uh, right, this week's show, um, I speak to Cameron Archibald from MMT Scotland, and I ask him about what modern monetary theory is, uh, why we should adopt it, and can I eat it? No, not the last one, um, but the other two, definitely. Uh, plus, there is a little bit of stuff on the causes of knife crime. Spoiler, not just knives. Um, there's no Brexit fallout, though, because I may as well just shout lottery number predictions at you instead for some similar level of coherent insight into what may happen this week 42 7 5 89 4006 and then for your octagon number choose a goose and for your magic shape i pick the outline of unidentifiable roadkill fingers crossed that helps it's definitely going to be better than any brexit advice i can give this week if something major does happen there may be an extra show who knows who actually knows anyway instead let's all crack on with this <laughs> If I was to say to you that MMT is taking the US by storm, you'd probably assume I was discussing some sort of cool new drug that all them kids are taking in order to get wazzed off their jackboxes while doing disco pumps. But actually, it's pretty much the exact opposite, as MMT is an economic theory. Yes, less dancing, more financing. 
Modern monetary theory, as my poor understanding of it gathers, is all about countries creating their own currency and debt not really being all that bad. Two things that make me really think that my plan of taking out a massive loan so I could live on an island and draw Tiernan dollars with crayons before announcing my new country is not that bad an idea at all. Well, actually, it is, because apart from many sensible reasons against me doing it, my daughter would definitely eat a lot of my money on account of the crayon taste, and then I'd have to trade in toddler poo, and I can't imagine the foreign exchange being at all that enamoured by it. Sorry, I really went off track there. Basically, money breeds money. Uh, not in the way that if I rub two fivers together, they don't give birth to some little 50ps or anything, but more in the idea that if you put money into the economy, people will have more money to put into the economy. It doesn't seem that difficult to imagine, does it? MMT is cited by Democratic Senator and Al, Bernie Sanders, and US Representative and my new political stand, because, I mean, come on, she's damn amazing, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And they've both publicly backed MMT, and it takes a hefty place within the Green New Deal, policies designed to help the environment, uh, which, as you know, is even more important than money, because you can't fight a tsunami with £50 notes. Various economists are, of course, critical of MMT, as are right-wing commentators who seem concerned that an economy based on the theory will cause more debt, seemingly ignoring that that is the exact point of it. Yeah, nice one, team. Well done. Yeah, and me eating more cakes will cause me to put on weight, but doesn't mean they're not brilliant. No, wait, that's a terrible analogy. Anyway, MMT is starting to influence economic theory in the UK too, with several of Labour's advisers suggesting elements of it, and many are now citing it as a plausible way that an independent Scotland could thrive. But... What is MMT? Would it definitely work? Why don't people refer to it as mmm tea, like you're having a tasty hot beverage? Well, long-time listeners of this podcast will know that when it comes to economics, I haven't got two pennies to rub together. So, this week, instead of me trying to explain it, I spoke to Cameron Archibald, the co-founder of MMT Scotland, and I asked him to, well, pretty much sell MMT to me, which if it was a joke would be problematic, but it's, it's not, it's an economic, we've been through this. We only had a limited time to chat, so this interview is very much a beginner's guide to what it is, what are the barriers to it working and why might it work for say an independent Scotland. I tried to find criticism online to question Cameron about but apart from the concerns of hyperinflation which he addresses there's not a lot out there so feel free to write in if you can think of other concerns and I'll read them out on future episodes or maybe email Cameron and see if um, he can respond Um, but until then I hope you find this as informative as I did. Here is Cameron. Uh, Cameron, you were very kind. You sent me uh, lots of links uh, on what modern monetary theory is. Um, and I think I'm starting to grasp it uh, with my uh, idiot non-economic brain. But um, if you could, especially for me and for the listeners, um, explain to me what modern, modern monetary theory is, uh, that would be appreciated. So what what is it? What does it mean? Well, thanks for having me on. And don't put yourself down. I, I'm sure anyone who puts their heart to it can understand MMT. Although, that, I mean, that, that is the big question right now. And for a lot of commentators on economics, uh, when they start off, they, they don't do the, the proper reading or academic research on it. And so they make a lot of false assumptions. So um, let, let's clear a few things up. Uh, MMT is a way of looking at economics that embodies a clear and honest image about how the monetary system really works. It, sh- it really shows us that countries can reach their full potential when they have their own uh, full control of the currency and central bank. Uh, and for what it shows us operationally is that countries that issue their own currency simply spend money into existence. It's worked like this uh, in the US, Japan, China, Canada, and even us in the UK. It's worked like this for the last 50 years. And, and when you tell someone or explain to someone that money is just created every time the government spends, it really puts them back. It's like, wait, what, really? Um, you know, and then, then it leads to the question of, well, what's the point of taxing? 
you know, and wouldn't we just end up like Venezuela or Zimbabwe if money is just created? And to that, I say, well, no. Uh, tax has many roles to play in the economy, um, but we don't need taxes to help pay for government spending. But we need government spending to help pay our taxes. So those taxes simply remove some of the currency that was already issued by the government to help control inflation. Uh, also, demand for the currency, because you need to pay your taxes in that currency, is what gives it value. Uh, the value isn't linked to gold or oil or land or anything else, like many people still think. It's linked to demand. A tax will also have other issues, uh, other rules as well, like redistribution or trying to change social behaviour. But a big role is controlling inflation. But it's not, not just tax either. Uh, the one policy MT advocates is a job guarantee programme, a voluntary job guarantee programme. These programmes would provide meaningful jobs and a living wage to anyone who voluntarily seeks it. And at the same time, this would help increase our productivity levels uh, and the quality of life we offer. Uh, I also assume as well you have other policies in place that you know help you know provide a quality of life, like a, a strong welfare system, you know, or, or a strong NHS. Um, but also as well, then the big point which uh, is really important is MMT helps us understand how the national debt works. So the national debt is largely nothing more than the currency spent by the government that has not yet been taxed back. Another way you might want to imagine it is like a point scoring system in a video game. Uh, see the money in your pocket right now? That's the national debt. By wanting to reduce the national debt, what we're essentially saying is we want to reduce the amount of money uh, that's going into the economy, that's in our pockets. Uh, the national debt is actually the private sector savings for individuals, for corporations, for banks and the foreign government. We don't need to scare ourselves into our children paying it off in the future because all generations do it. Our grandparents pay off the national debt. Our parents do it. We do it too. Our children will do it and their children will do it. It's a normal process of paying off because we pay off all the time. The main reason uh, we want, if we ever wanted to reduce the national debt or deficit, is because of the risk of inflation. And again, as I pointed out earlier, um, you know, inflation uh, is the kind of the key factor that MT, MTers or MT advocates uh, focus on. Uh, the risk of inflation occurs when a country spends beyond its labour, its skills physical capital, technology, and natural resources. And you know, once we fully use our labour resources, we can't spend beyond that without causing serious inflationary issues. So for a kind of, that's a kind of a start to MMT. And obviously beyond that, you get into a lot more advanced issues. But I'd say that's probably a good start of understanding what MMT is really about. So uh, I've got a couple of questions. Uh, the first being that um, I, I, I've definitely heard the way of thinking before that, the you know, to for a strong economy, you need to be putting money into it. People need to have money to spend in the economy in order for the economy to grow. Um, so is modern monetary theory kind of the opposite of austerity in, in some ways? Oh, I, I, well, I mean, yes and no. I think when you look at the grassroots movement of MMT, it very much advocates uh, advocates for people to, you know, to support spending into the economy, to help grow the economy, and and to avoid scaremonger, you know, scaremongering about national debt and deficits because that's a lot of scaremongering going on just now. But I wouldn't say that always applies though, because where there is uh, inflationary issues in some countries, MT might say, well, actually, you're spending beyond your resources, you're spending beyond your your actual capital 
and your labour need a cut back there. And if there is inflationary issues, then you're going to have to implement some sort of austerity or some sort of measures uh, to help increase your productivity to meet uh, to you know to match these levels. Um, so M- one thing is important to say is MT isn't a manifesto. MT doesn't hold political beliefs. It's like wearing a pair of goggles or glasses to see more clearly. Uh, the individual uh, person or the country has to make judgment for themselves uh, by looking at what MT explains to them. And that's interesting. So it, it's, uh, I mean, from the way that you describe it, it's it's about a balance as well, because obviously, uh, you know, we don't necessarily look at debt as a negative thing, but then there is also, it seems, a point where debt is too much. Uh, and it's just about working out when those times are. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it, actually. I mean, when it comes to, when, when you hear two phrases quite often, you hear uh, a lot of parties in the mainstream say, we must balance the budget. But for when it comes to MMT, what we say is, no, we need to balance the economy. So we want to have the right debt and deficits level, right, the debt, right, the, the, sorry, the right debt and deficit levels to have in order to have a healthy economy that provides full employment for everyone and a decent lifestyle. If we balance the so just having, uh, you know, tax equal, you know, the amount of tax to take in equal to spending, uh, then essentially we're draining assets or we're draining currency from the private sector. And, you know, government spend, you know, government debt is not the same as a household debt uh, because essentially we can pay off uh, our debt over time and it's in our own currency. Um, and, we, and the government can just create, as I said, operationally, we create money every single uh, year and every, and every day. But when it comes to household, we can't do that. If we were to print our own currency, uh, well, if you we were to print uh, the currency that's already used right now, the copper would come to our house and, and say, right, you're in, this, you're, you're in the prison. And, you know, obviously we can't do that. And, uh, you know, when, when we are drained of our assets, we then have to go and borrow or we have to sell off, um, sell off our, 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 what we own as well. And if we start borrowing more, that builds up uh, private private debt, and you create, then you create a whole private debt bubble, and then you've got yourself into uh, any kind of situation uh, that is just ridiculous. And to, to put this into perspective, um, I like to cite the US as an example uh, because they have a, they have a few good examples of what happens when you reduce the national debt. And this isn't even MMT to be uh, precise. This is just a basic fact. Um, so, for example, in 1817 to 1821, I think it was roughly around then, uh, it was a time frame of five years when the debt was reduced by tw- to 23%. So at that time, it was about $90 million. And right after that, there was a economic depression that began uh, in 1819. And that, that happened repeatedly as well between 1823 to 1836. Um, there's a few other years as well. There's also 1880 to 1893. Uh, and, and that time frame of 14 years, they reduced the national debt by half. Uh, and at that time, it was like $1 billion. And then, but the economic depression began in 1893. And then there's the classic example of 1920 to 1930, when the U.S. reduced the national debt by 36%. Uh, I can't remember the exact figure for that. I think it was around $15 billion. Uh, but, uh, in 1929, the Wall Street crash. So, and then that, that was also some other factors as well of, and overproduction for private businesses as well. But th- this is evident that when you reduce national debt, you're also draining assets uh, from the private economy. And the only time you should really be doing that is when we're facing serious inflationary issues. So 
earlier you mentioned uh, that various countries do uh, spend their own currency, create and spend their own currency. And, and you mentioned the UK. I mean, I know that obviously our government has done quantitative easing before. Um, was the I mean, is, is that what you mean? But was the issue with that that it was just money that was given to banks rather than put into the economy overall? What was the why was that not modern monetary theory? So a lot of people think that um, quantitative easing and printing money is the same thing. But it's, but it's actually not. Uh, it's essentially, quantitative easing is an asset swap. And I wouldn't say it's always very good for anti-recession strategies, basically. Uh, QE uh, really involves the banks buying bonds, so that's basically bank assets, in exchange for deposits by the central bank uh, in the commercial system. So, you know, that is basically uh, their crediting reserve account. And that, this is getting very technical, as you can imagine. But basically, to put it in more simple terms, quantitative easing is really about swapping assets. And, uh, you know, it, it's not the same as what AMT advocates uh, really go for, uh, because AMT really is it's already just kind of creating new money into the system to help grow the economy, essentially. And that doesn't always, uh, you know, work for all countries, because... For example, countries in the Eurozone, for example, or Scotland right now, uh, they don't have control of the central, their central banks or their own currency. So, for, uh, for example, when the Eurozone crisis happened, they only got permission to really kind of put quantitative easing measures in, uh, in place because countries had permission from the European Central Bank. And Scotland, that was just kind of really done on our own behalf by the, the Treasury down south, who then put forward QE. Uh, operations in place. Uh, so for countries that have their own currency in central bank, they can, uh, you know, basically, if they wanted to uh, spend money into existence, as, you know, they do all the time anyway, to help grow the economy. Uh, or, But if you don't have your own central bank or your own currency, then you're going to uh, be in a tight situation to try and figure out how you can work around that. Right. Okay. So, uh, right. I've got two. That's that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, two questions off the back of that. Firstly, is um, again on the on the subject of if you're if your country's kind of uh, creating its own money, spending its own money in in uh, along with modern monetary theory, how does that work on an international scale with the foreign exchange and the value of currency against other currency? Do, would would it devalue a country's own currency how you know how would international debt and external debt work like with that well this is actually a very good point so um again i raised earlier earlier that um a lot of people would say well, hold on a second you can't just uh print money because you'll end up like zimbabwe or uh you end up like the weimar republic or you end up like uh what's, what's the other country that uses venezuela i'd say yeah uh and that will devalue uh your your currency but that's not how it works. Uh, well, for example, um, if you have a free-floating currency, which by that I mean you don't match the value of the currency to another currency, then it doesn't devalue against anything. I mean, for example, the UK pound is still worth one UK pound. Uh, you know, can't compare to each other. What the S is what's compared to other countries if there's inflationary issues. Uh, so that, again, leads to the issue of inflation. Uh, but Many people may say, but if you try to peg it, then many people, uh, you know, speculators could try and attack it. So then you've got to put uh, things in place to make sure that when speculators start attacking your peg, uh, you can defend it. But MNT basically says, I'll let your currency float. Let it represent the value of your economy, but what you're producing and the demand for it as well. Because when you do that, 
then, uh, then you know, the real focus is inflation. Again, I, I've said that quite a lot. It's inflation that is target here. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so Japan, I'll, let's compare Japan and Italy right now. Uh, Japan has its own currency, and it's free-floating. It's own central bank. Italy does not. Um, Japan right now has interest rates that are very, very low. Uh, and has almost almost full employment. Uh, because, and, and Japan right now has one of the highest debts in the world in terms of a percentage of GDP. I think it's like two quad trillion yen or something like that. It's something ridiculous. But uh, they have near full employment. The quality of life is still rising. They have, I think they have some of the best quality of life in the world. And when it comes to investors, they don't have high interest rates, or should I say high yields, uh, when it comes to investing in the economy, and, the, and investors still purchase government bonds. But when you look at Italy, for example, there's a, inter, uh, people who want to invest into the economy offer really high yields and high interest rates to invest. And the simple truth to that is, it's because Japan, because they own their own currency, can almost always guarantee to pay back uh, investment they've received with interest to, to, uh, to Japanese investors. And that's, that's, that's the power of a currency. It can almost make or break an economy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we'll be back with Cameron in a minute. But first, you know what they say, knives don't kill people, people kill people, just mostly by using knives. The big argument right now is around what is causing the two-thirds increase in knife crime in the UK since 2014, with accusations and pointed fingers looking at everything from maybe we should just ban all knives and just spoon butter onto bread, all the way to what about if we surgically attach mittens to all the teenagers, with everyone taking a stab at who's to blame. Arf stab. Last week, in her infinite ridiculousness, Theresa May denied that there were any links between austerity or a reduction in police numbers and the increase in illegal blade activity. Yes, she's denied that the government making a lot of unnecessary cuts that ruin people's lives have anything to do with it. 
While there are many studies that show that stop and search, as is being called for by Home Secretary Sajid Javid, don't reduce crime and are in fact discriminatory, the police cuts of 19% across the board and 21,000 fewer officers mean that they have reduced safer neighbourhood teams, whose job it was was to know the streets and families in the areas that they patrolled, and they could use trust and familiarity to warn kids away from criminal activity. Very useful, like Dixon of Doc Green, but, you know, known by people who aren't ancient and really old. Police officers are now disproportionately dealing with cases involving people with mental health issues, left uncared for due to cuts to social care. The expulsion rates in schools has risen by 15%, with 50% of those people's being expelled having mental health issues as schools can no longer afford the support staff or time to work with them or risk low test scores in case it affects classroom funding. Spending on youth services has been cut by 62% since 2010, and overall politicians don't even want to listen to kids when they're upset about climate change, let alone their unlikeliness to ever own a house or afford to have less than a few jobs or work abroad or so much more. I mean, when you really think about it, are these kids carrying knives in preparation for a post-Brexit dystopian future that they're all too aware of? Will they be the only ones able to rule in gangs with monopolies on tinned goods, while ours middle-aged folk running around waving wooden spoons and hoping for the best? Hmm? Hmm? Then, of course, there are cuts to the court systems, meaning legal aid is denied to many who don't get a fair trial, while broken draft excluder Chris Grayling's failed, I mean obviously failed, rehabilitation programmes mean that reoffending has actually risen since they were implemented, probably because they involve telling criminals how bad things are on the outside and then they realise in the inevitable post-Brexit purge they'd probably be safer in a cell. Then there's the rise in child poverty and the lack of support for struggling families and that selling drugs is more likely to benefit your bank account than doing an unpaid workfare job in Poundland where all you're doing is cleaning up the liquid from broken snow globes. Look... All I'm saying is, austerity is definitely, definitely a factor, and giving extra funding to the police is only one part of many, many repairs that need doing. Like assuming one plaster over a paper cut will save a victim with multiple stab wounds. Javid has asked for a £15 million fund for a short-term boost in police officers, because, as you know, it's obvious, uh, you fix it once, it'll never come back, right? It's the glandular fever of crimes, yeah? But Javid was denied that money by Chancellor and the only person who can frown with their entire body, Philip Hammond, who said that the police have enough money and should just divert cash from other budgets, like, you know, one of those goofy cartoons where he pops his finger over a leak in a pipe as another pops up elsewhere, and so on and so on. Brilliant, why don't the cops just put all their cash into fighting knife crime, and then when there's an increase in car theft and, I don't know, pet arson, then they'll cover those areas until knife crime comes back. What it requires is the government to realise that all of society needs a lot more TLC because there's no easy solutions to this. If young people are unhappy with no future prospects, you can stop and search them and ban all the knives you like, but before you know it, there'd be an increase in spoon violence, and then spatula violence, and then children dying from cake-cester attacks, and so on, and so on, and so on. There is a much deeper problem here that needs to be dealt with. The Conservatives really can't just be searching for random solutions, as it's a pretty insensitive time for them just to be taking a stab in the dark. And now, back to Cameron. So, the and, I, and you're uh, an advocate for independent Scotland, and um, this this I mean, modern monetary theory has been around for a while, but it's suddenly become quite popular in, in the US. Um, but it requires it requires it, an independent country, as you said, sort of being outside of the eurozone, um, something like that. So, are we is the UK in a better place to implement this post Brexit? Uh, or would you know would Scotland only still be able to implement this in an independent situation? How how can this uh, work? Well, I'll, I'll quickly say just now about its growing popularity. Um, I, I think I'll, the popularity of it has to come down to the US, especially the, you know the, the grassroots movement there. And again, a special shout to who's who's seen as the queen of MMT. I would say Stephanie Kelton. Stephanie Kelton is the advisor to Bernie Sanders and. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and when they uh, advocate for Medicare for all, free education, 
and a job guarantee scheme when she shares, Stephanie Kelton, should I say, shares that spotlight with them. And when you see Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you see Stephanie Kelton. And that's where the whole thing basically kicked off. And right now you've got two academic titans, uh, Professor Paul Krugman and Stephanie Kelton, debating it out right now in the US. We've not seen something like that since, uh, you know, John Maynard Keynes and Friedrich Hayek. It's such a high-quality debate. And that's simply the UK. That's why it's suddenly, you know, really grown here. And I'd say it really kicked off down south with the government initiative for modern monetary studies, also known as GIMS, to help raise awareness in the U- down south in the UK. And now it's going to reach Scotland too. And I know a lot of track but I'll say one more thing on this. And it's, since it was uh, International Women's Day yesterday, I think it's a bit worth uh, pointing out that GIMS was founded completely by women, which I think is amazing because the MMT movement well, sorry, not the MMT movement, the, the, the academia world of economics really lacks female voices. But the MMT movement has such amazing diversity when it, when it comes to uh, advocating for having your own currency in the central bank. Because so many people coming around, around the world are coming, uh, you know, coming to get involved. Uh, now, you asked about um, can you implement MMT uh, post-Brexit better or not. Uh, that's that's quite interesting. And again, MMT doesn't have a position on Brexit or Scottish independence. If it's up to me to argue why I believe uh, Scotland should have its own currency post-independence, not MMT. And I use MMT as a tool for that. So I'll start off with Scottish independence. Um, basically, this is the difference between Scotland. When it comes to, it comes to independence, we can be a currency issuer or we can be a, a currency user. Uh, and that, that difference is uh, really important. By being a currency issuer, we can properly spend on government programs that help support the most vulnerable society and grow our economy for everyone. But if you become a currency user by keeping sterling after independence, which is controlled by the Bank of England, we're handing over our monetary powers to bankers in the rest of the UK. And that would be leaving powers over interest rates, borrowing, and the money supply in the hands of the UK. And, uh, you know, uh, that doesn't really work in Scotland's favour. If we want to take a different economic approach, then how does keeping sterling work? And this is in a criticism uh, which we've put forward with those in the NMT movement towards uh, the SNP Sustainable Growth Commission. Uh, the Growth Commission is a commission that, uh, that looked at the case of Scottish dependence. And basically, last year, it opened its, uh, you know, opened its doors and went, right, here is our ultimate plan. Uh, it's a very big uh, paper, so I'm not going to go over all of it. But essentially, it says that we're going to keep uh, the UK sterling until uh, we know Scotland's ready to impl- implement our own currency. And we have to meet six key tests. Uh, but the problem with these six key tests is that's been proposed by the Sustainable Growth Commission is they can only really be met if we have our own currency first. So, for example, one of them is one of the tests is, for example, building up uh, foreign exchange reserves, basically. So, having good backup uh, in our bank of other people's currencies in case, you know, for trading and in case of emergency. The problem is, if we don't have our own central bank of currency first, then we don't need to build up uh, foreign. Foreign currency exchange uh, reserves. It, you know that's not required, and the government might get lazy and go, "Well, uh, we don't have our own central bank anyway, so what's the point?" And that means we fail on that test. If we want to, Scotland wants to uh, really open up uh, its opportunities uh, in the future, then the power of the currency is absolutely key. And you also talked about uh, Brexit there as well. Is MMT 
better uh, or can can be used um, post Brexit. I, I was going to say I should say that obviously I'm aware that the UK isn't part of the eurozone as such, but I wondered if the localization of well localization or nationalization of Brexit would make it easier to implement such a thing. So when it comes to uh, MT and uh, Brexit and the eurozone, you know MT can be used anywhere because it's, it's, again, a pair of goggles. It's not a policy. Um, so let's just say, for example, um, right now in the Eurozone, uh, you don't have control of your central bank and currency, but one you know one of the rules of being in the Eurozone is you have to have a deficit of just 3% and under. Well, let's just say that's absolutely fine. Let's say that the, you know, the country needs only a 3% deficit, uh, and it's quite adequate with that just now and they can you know enjoys free movement of people, uh, enjoys all the benefits of uh, trading within the EU and out with the EU. And, you know, that's absolutely fine. Because uh, that again, wearing MMT goggles, it shows that in the situation you are in the Eurozone, that's great. Even if you have less monetary sovereignty, you're in an okay position. But if your position is that you need a higher deficit spending uh, and you need to properly fully employ your population, then you've got to think about other ways you can do that. And you can think about possibly just, you know, countries in the, in the Eurozone break deficit rules all, all the time. Germany and France are definitely being guilty of that, and they're the big advocates for keeping those rules. Uh, so you could be tricky and break that rule, or you can find all, alternative solutions. But it's not up to me to you know, tell other countries what to do. It's up to them what they want to do. Whatever suits their needs, they can follow. Um, but the thing is, and I think this is very important as well, is how do you know what suits your needs? And this is one of the issues when it comes to, you know, implementing the vision, the goggles for MMT, uh, because people, you need to be properly informed. And when you have um, groups like the Taxpayers Alliance, for example, who tell you that you oh, you need to you need to pay your taxes so we can spend stuff, uh, that's just not true, and we, that does not properly inform. Uh, the, the people, the citizens, about how the systems work. And therefore, if not properly informed, how can they make properly informed decisions? How can they properly wear the MMT goggles? And when we, when we face similar things from, uh, you know, from other groups in Scotland as well, that are not just like right-wing or anti-MT, but also you know, some unionist groups as well. Although it's worth pointing out, unionist groups can also be pro-MMT. And if they're pro-MMT, that would be very interesting to see one pro-MMT independence group against a pro-MMT unionist group. But we haven't seen that yet. But if that happened, I'd be very interested to see how that goes. Um, okay, but, but back to back to topic. The one, if you want to implement the, the, the goggles for MMT, then we have to better inform public, the public and businesses about how the monetary system works. And once those uh, facts are established, citizens then can have a higher quality debate and discussion to help the most vulnerable in society and help grow the economy for everyone. Um, and then that means we can have better discussion on implementing the job guarantee. Because then citizens go, right, we know what we have to do. We know how we have to fully utilize our resources and labor. So let's get let's get together and figure this out. Uh, so this is actually something me and uh, my, my uh, colleague Craig Berry are working on just now. We're doing a paper on the job guarantee. And whilst I'm not going to give too many details on that, because I want to you know, keep my card close to my chest, I will, I will say that we do have one design for it, and it's basically the participatory democracy design. And what that is essentially is that uh, you'd create local assemblies for your local area, uh, and those local assemblies 
would get on to get them together and go right. What do we need to do, fix our area? What are the social economic issues that are at play here that we need to develop? Uh, they discuss it. They highlight maybe multiple different factors, and then they split into committees that look at different areas. Those committees would then go out. Uh, they would meet experts. They would gather data. They'd gather the requirements they need to try and implement the jobs that they want for the local area, and then they come back together. And if there's enough jobs uh, at, uh, proposals there for everyone, they implement it and they give the green light to it. And if there's not, then the, the local assembly will vote on which ones they want. Um, and the great thing about this is that even though it's happening locally, the state, they, you know, they'll hand the proposals to the, the state, the, you know, the, the government, the national government, and they'll go, right, you've got you've done the work, you're going to use labour and resources, out, there's not any serious inflation issues here. We'll, we'll fund this for you entirely. And what's amazing about that is that it offers not just political capital, economic capital to citizens. And that's what I love about the job guarantee as well, because it has the potential to offer, uh, you know, inspiration and empower citizens to get fully involved with uh, what's happening in the world around them. And that's one of the big reasons why I got involved with MMT, because it just offers so much potential for the future. And it can work for any movement if you apply it correctly. Many thanks to Cameron for having time to explain MMT to me for the podcast. Uh, you can find Cameron on Twitter at Mammoth Whale and his mostly economics blog is at mammothwhale.wordpress.com. And you can find MMT Scotland on Twitter at MMT Scotland and online at, guess what, mmtscotland.com. Surprise! Uh, as I mentioned in the intro to our chat, we were on a limited time schedule, so I messaged Cameron afterwards to send me some recommendations for follows on the subject. And he suggested the MMT Don, Stephanie Kelton, who's on Twitter under her name, uh, the Deficit Owls, who are on Facebook, and a to explain MMT in clear and easily understandable way and the MMT podcast which is hosted uh, by a very funny comedian Christian Riley uh, with Patricia Pino and they can be found on all pod apps much like this show because sometimes just sometimes the internet makes life an awful lot easier thanks very much to Matthew for emailing me to recommend Cameron um, and after last week's absence of guests due to um, oh, Chris, Chris Grayling's fault definitely I am very much in need of more ideas of who to interview in upcoming shows so let me know what policies theories initiatives campaigns ideologies or politically named dance moves shall I interview someone about and who drop me a line at parpobro on Twitter the partly political broadcast on Facebook the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com as Matthew did or, like Living Fossil, the dinosaur ant, you could release a chemical alarm signal by um, secreting pheromones from your uh, glands. And then either I'll catch a whiff and be sick, or, uh, I mean, I'll know exactly who you want me to interview. Or, more likely, you just embarrass yourself, and then a ton of large queen ants will try and hump your legs. As always, it's just, it's just much easier to email, isn't it? <laughs> And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, though really, I mean, this moment is just an exercise in how many words a man can say about nothing at all happening. Uh, Hey-ho, uh, who knows, this time next week you could be listening to a Parpol Bro that's actually about something. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, as I said, thanks for listening. Please donate to the Kofi or Patreon if you can. Review the show and not the adverts on your pod apps of choice. And please do tell other people to listen in or maybe even just allude to it in a teaser trailer sort of way so that they spend ages searching the internet and it's 
instead end up subscribing to the Pally Petri broadsword and never stop thanking you for it. Yeah, cheers, and that's Acast for collating this show in its noise display. Big cheers to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all the musicy bits, and much, much thankings to Cat Day for typing up the linear liner notes every single week. This will be back next week when Theresa May tells Parliament she's made an important improvement to her deal in time for the third reading, only for MPs to discover that all she's done is made all the dots on the eyes little smiley faces, and it fails again. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Gavin Williamson's Army Fixes. Have you got a problem? Let Gavin send in the army to take care of it. No problem, too small, no ego boost, too big. Creaky floorboards? We've got IEDs that'll get rid of those in no time. Ant infestation? Well, you know what ants don't like? That's right, flamethrowers right in their stupid tiny faces. Guy at work being a dick? We'll have him stripped naked with a bag over his head and some embarrassing photos of us waterboarding him within minutes. Gavin Williamson's army fixes, be the best, and a variety of menial tasks. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.